Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. The next two days will be dedicated to trying to figure out what we're doing with starting pitchers this season. This should be fun. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. It is Wednesday, July 8th. Frank Stample here with Scott White and Chris Towers. And guys, we're going to have a lot of fun here trying to figure out what to do with starting pitching in a shortened season. We were talking just before we started here, um, and I keep flip-flopping. So hopefully you guys can help me figure out what I'm doing and help everyone else figure out what they're doing as well. What's going on, guys? How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, I mean... The, the, what, what's been happening with starting pitchers in camp, early in camp here, I think maybe has been the most surprising thing of all. And I think it, it, it allows you to rethink what you were thinking before because these, well, these Scott, guys are not treating it like a normal tra- spring training. They're, they're yeah. pitching much deeper than that. Don't be coy. Tell the people yeah. what we're seeing early yeah. on. We so, don't have box scores to look at. No, they don't. I, I mean, just, and, and we, so we don't know what everybody's doing. We only hear what beat writers choose to tell us. But Garrett Cole went five innings in his first simulated start yesterday for mm-hmm. the Yankees. Lance Lynn went six, throwing over 80 <laughs> pitches in his first start for the Rangers. I mean, those, those are the two that stand out the most. I mean, if they're already doing that in their first simulated start, then, you know, they could do whatever after a couple more simulated starts uh, by the time they're starting during the regular season. But even the guys who are going three innings now, you, you you add an inning each start, and they'll be built up to six innings in time for their first start. We've we've heard uh, pitch individual pitchers say they'll be ready to throw six. Max Scherzer has said that. Luis Castillo has said that. Even Ross Stripling has said that as he uh, is eager to win a rotation spot for the Dodgers. So I'm I'm sure there will be some exceptions, and I don't know. Maybe those even are the exceptions. Maybe there are more exceptions. Uh, Maybe there are just a lot of exceptions, but you know, I I don't think it's going to be nearly as widespread. The holding back of starting pitchers or nearly as much of a concern those first couple times through the rotation as we were initially thinking it's going to be. So that certainly, that certainly helps, uh, helps justify drafting starting pitchers early still. Yeah, and we're going to talk a lot about this. We're going to spend a lot of time on strategy today. I really want to talk about the top 20 starting pitchers, which I think most people consider the elite for this season. Uh, But I do want to start off with a news item that we saw from yesterday. Jesus Lazardo, which is a very popular breakout candidate for people this season, has tested positive for COVID. And there was conflicting reports over, does he have to quarantine, self-isolate for 14 days per the MLB safety protocols? I know that they kind of went back on that. So, uh, Scott, can you let us know what's the latest regarding Jesus Lozardo? And are you moving him down because of this? Because he was someone that was creeping inside the top 100 picks, maybe even higher than that. So I'm really reluctant to officially move anyone down right now because so it's not like when a player tests positive, he has to quarantine for any length of time. There's really no timetable for these guys. They just have to be symptom free and test and and turn up two negative tests within a 24 hour period. And most of these guys are symptom free. I I think, I, I don't think I've, we've seen Lozardo having symptoms. Uh, yeah. He says, I'm feeling good. Just ready to get going once I get two negatives. So uh, Joey Gallo, uh, I think after like the day after he tested positive, he got a negative test. So he's waiting to get back another negative test. They think maybe that one was a, a potentially a false positive. Uh, so like it's, 
there's just no timetable for these guys. Even Freddie Freeman, who of course has had symptoms, sounds like he's had the worst symptoms of anybody. Like there, there are indications he's starting to feel better. And since he's a position player, there's still enough time for him to get ready potentially for the start of the season. So how much would you want to move him down? If, if nothing else, it tells you, you should wait until as late as possible to draft because right now these guys, like we, we just don't have any kind of timetable for him. I would worry more about a starting pitcher like Jesus Luzardo than I would a position player or reliever in terms of readiness. But you know, if, if Luzardo is able to to get those negatives turned around quickly, then then uh, he should have time to get ready as well. Chris, how might this impact you in season? Right, regarding you know positive COVID tests, uh, we do know that once you test positive, you have to test negative twice in order to be able to return back to the team. We've talked about adding more IL spots for this season for COVID positive players. Is that the only thing that you can do? Are you going to if it happens in season, drop someone like Jesus Lozardo because he's going to miss a decent portion of an already shortened season? It's it's so hard to answer that question um, because it, it's going to depend on, like, from from what I understand, you know, if you you can be asymp- an asympt- asymptomatic carrier for, like, 7 to 10 days or longer, and you can continue to test positive while also feeling fine. And so I think, you know, the timetables, like it's going to depend, you know, presumably once we get into season and this train and we're really starting now, you know, this testing regimen where, where people are being tested, you know, once every other day and presumably getting the results back within, uh, you know, 24 hours or so, which, you know, open question at this point, <laughs> but, um, you know, presumably they would be catching, they would be testing positive kind of at the start you know when they first are um you know when the when the virus first infects them i i would assume and so in that case you're probably like in joey gallo's case you know even if he you know even if it wasn't a false positive it's possible that he was towards the end of the cycle and his body had already started you know kind of right you know you're saying during the season at players have had a string where they've tested negative. If they suddenly turn up positive, you can assume it's the start of. Yeah. And that will probably, that will presumably be again, you know, so much of this is unknown and it's going to affect everybody that it does affect differently. Um, But presumably when it happens in season, yeah, the process is probably going to be a little longer. And, and, you know, my assumption would be that you're probably looking at minimum of two weeks for a return to play, even for someone who doesn't have symptoms. Again, like I'm, I want to not speculate, um, but that would certainly be my expectation. Scott, based how, on what we've heard. Scott, how many IL spots is the right number for this season? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do more than five. What's the right number? I mean, if you're used to doing two, maybe take it to four. I think that's um, fair. I was thinking three yeah. to five is like a fair number. I was thinking yeah. five as well. That was the number that came to mind. Yeah, because you're not just going to have people who test positive. You're actually going to have people who get hurt too. So you have to keep that in mind. And that's one thing that I would point out about these guys working up to you know five to six innings now is I think the the injury rates early in this season, the injury rates are always higher early in the season, especially for pitchers. Um, and in spring training, you know, we'd see tons of injuries. I think that's going to be the case to an even larger extent this season with given the, you know, hurry up and, and start, hurry up and wait uh, manner of this season. I would imagine we're going to see more soft tissue injuries, you know, more I, hamstrings and elbow and, and biceps and elbows. And, and so, you yeah. know, when it comes to pitchers, especially, you know, if they're trying to ramp up really quickly, I think, the, well, the injury rate for pitchers, I, I would imagine, is going to be higher than normal. It, you, may, you may be right, but I, I don't think we should necessarily take it as them ramping up more quickly. I think the understanding is that they were continuing their throwing programs throughout sure. this delay, and so they were more built up than they would if they just showed up in February for the start of spring training. Now, Right, right. I guess what I mean is even that. Even just continuing your throwing program for two months, three months is what it ended up being. That's a completely different scenario than what pitchers are usually doing. 
you know, they usually have, you know, pitch every fifth day, bullpen in the middle of it. You know, they might have been able to replicate that some point, somewhat, but for one, you can't replicate a game situation. There's just, there's nothing like actually throwing in a game. It's just a different situation. You know, that's a more stressful situation. Um, and so my baseline assumption is pitchers will be more susceptible to injuries this year. Um, and given that, you know, the, the injury rate for starting pitchers is usually something like 40 to 45% in a given season. Uh, we're going to see a lot of pitcher injuries, I think. With that, let's get into it. Our starting pitcher preview 2.0 part one. How are we handling starting pitchers this season? So I'm going to paint both sides of the coin here. We had this a few weeks back. Braves GM Alex Anthopoulos said that they would be cautious with their starters. They could go just two to three innings, some four for the first couple of times through the rotation and then use several others who can go two to three innings in relief behind them to take advantage of their depth and to be overly cautious. Uh, That's one reason to be wary of starting pitchers. Then you have the randomness factor, which is something I brought up multiple times uh, in a shortened season. Here were the top 10 in ERA after 60 games last year. Hyunjin Ryu, Jake Odorizzi, Justin Verlander, Zach Davies. Yes, Zach Davies. Mm -hmm. Luis Castillo, Charlie Morton. Morton. Lucas Giolito, Mike Miner, Frankie Montas, Marcus Stroman. All of those 10 pitchers had an ERA below three at the 60-game mark last year. Verlander was the only pitcher in that group who was being drafted even inside the top 100 picks, and he was a top 20 pick last year. So crazy things are going to happen in a shortened season. Uh, So those are some of the reasons maybe you want to fade pitching early on. But then, as Scott mentioned yesterday, I was watching the intra-squad game between the Yankees and Garrett Cole pitched five innings. He had six Mm -hmm. strikeouts. He retired the final 10 batters that he faced. So are we thinking that the aces, the quote-unquote aces, can be the exception to this this rule? I mean, maybe it's Cole and DeGrom and Verlander, or do we just think everyone can kind of be the exception here, Scott? Even even pitchers who we were kind of worried about their workload at the start of the season. Like I brought up Alex Wood, the back end of that Dodgers rotation. They have a lot of access. He's already thrown a three innings simulated game. Just today, Mike Soroka, you mentioned the Braves and what Alex Anthopoulos said. He threw three innings in his first sim start. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we can really target anybody specifically who's going to be affected by that. I mean, the Braves lost Felix Hernandez. He chose to opt out for the season, so that that took one out of their pitching depth, and maybe they're not as satisfied with their depth as as they even were at the time he brought that up. Um, so yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm to the point now where unless a player is delayed, like Jesus Lazardo, Carlos Martinez, if you know, assuming they still want him in the rotation, um, something like that, that would really slow impede his ramp up process. I'm just I'm just expecting him to to pitch at this point like he otherwise would. Now there is the the randomness factor. It's such a small sample that starting pitchers I mean it's a small sample for everybody, but I think just the the how few starts pitchers will be making uh will create more randomness in their results than you're going to see in the hitters. And so that that tips the scales a little bit in hitters' favor in this shortened season. But if you think back to March, this was already being hyped as the year of the pitcher. There is such, there is a much steeper drop-off and a much earlier drop-off among the pitcher class than there is among the hitter class. You, you're still not going to win unless you have good pitching. And if you're not drafting good pitching, that means you're just, counting on getting lucky with your late round picks or playing the waiver wire early in the season. And it may work out for you in a short season. Maybe you're the guy who grabs Zach Davies or I know Martin Perez got off to a really good start last year too, but I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a high probability strategy for you. So I'm, I'm approaching starting pitchers about the same on the whole as I was in March. And based on mock draft results, it seems like that's more or less the consensus. Chris, let me ask you this. Another feather in the cap for elite starting pitchers might be the fact that they are going to go deeper into games on a more consistent basis, uh, which we know is most closely correlated with wins. And wins are a very random, uh, tough 
category to fill, and they give us a lot of points in head-to-head points leagues as well, but they are correlated with going deeper into games. Does that mean that you should devalue players like Julio Arias or Jesus Lazardo once he's healthy because we just don't know how deep those guys are going to go into games? They're going to be very good on a per-inning basis, but undoubtedly they're not going to go as deep into games as guys like Shane Bieber and Justin Verlander. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple factors to keep in mind. You know, going deep into games is, you know, we we did this research a couple weeks ago, and it was basically going deep into games is basically the the most relevant stat when predicting wins. You know, wins are impossible to predict, basically, but that one, the problem is how deep a pitcher goes into a game is also not necessarily all that easy to predict because it's dependent on how good that pitcher is and good pitchers. So, you know, if, if Julio Arias throws up a 2-4 ERA with a sub-1 whip, he's probably going to go six innings pretty regularly because that means he'll be pitching really efficiently. That's what we saw with Blake Snell uh, in his Cy Young season was he was only throwing, you know, 90 to 95 pitches in most starts, but he was more often than not getting through six innings because he was so efficient. Uh, now, that being said, predicting a Julio Arias 2-4 ERA is very hard. And so I do think you probably want to bump up the aces just for one, their, their impact's going to be greater uh, because they'll be throwing more innings. They'll be going deeper into games. And then they're just – it's not just that they're better. It's that they're more predictable. Uh, you know, the guys who have done it year after year after year – you have a better chance of getting that same production from them in year N plus one than the guy who's done it one year, you know? So even then like Shane Bieber, there's no guarantee he's pitching all that deep into games because he may not be as efficient as he was last season. Yeah. I also wanted to address national league starting pitchers. And this is something that we've done in the past, but in Mm -hmm. case people weren't listening for the past couple of months throughout the pandemic and they're coming back now for our starting pitcher preview, um, national league pitchers are not going to face the opposing pitcher anymore. They are going to be facing another batter in the lineup, the universal DH. And Chris, when you looked at the top 10 losers in type, in terms of strikeout percentage loss last season, Merrill Kelly, Jordan Lyles, Madison Bumgarner, Steven Matz, Mike Soroka, Tyler Malley, Trevor Williams, Chase Anderson, Pablo Lopez, Joe Musgrove, of course, breaks my heart. Um, Chris Paddock, Zach Wheeler, and Aaron Nola were just behind that group as well, so they ranked very highly on their strikeout percentage that is being lost. Scott, does that matter, and have you lowered anybody down your rankings because of this? Nobody significantly. I may have I may have flipped a couple guys here and there. Um, I know that I moved but- Madison Bumgarner down a little bit. Yeah, there are, there are other reasons to move Madison Bumgarner down. I, oh, I yeah. think the I think the pitchers who were ranked where they were mostly because of of workload because you could trust them to accumulate over a full length season. They don't they're not benefited by that as much now. So uh, Bumgarner, I moved down. Uh, like Corey Kluber, I moved down. Lance Lynn to a degree, and uh, and Zach Wheeler as well. And then I moved Zach Wheeler down some more for the possibility. He misses a stretch at the beginning of the season with the birth of his child. So, um, yeah, that that was reason enough for me to move down Bumgarner. I didn't really factor in the DH thing so much. I know he was one of the pitchers whose strikeout rate seemed to be to benefit the most from facing pitchers, and Mike Soroka was up there too. I think Chris was Chris Paddock up there too, or was he on the other end of the spectrum? Yeah, Chris Paddock was up there. I think he was just outside the top 10. He was maybe 12th yeah. on the list or something like that. Yeah, um, like it's you. Their their ERA baseline goes up. I think every NL pitchers does. Um, but enough to really swing the rankings, you know. Other than a spot or two here and there, I, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think this is going to make or break. Well, it could only break someone, I guess. I don't think it's going to break anybody. <laughs> but you might use it as a deciding factor, right? Like if yeah. you're debating between. Let's just say Charlie Morton and Chris Paddock. You say, oh, one's in the AL, one's in the NL. I have them ranked closely anyway. Let yeah, me let just me, lean let the I can, way. I have a good example here because I do think there is, I think maybe like Aaron Nola, I moved down a spot uh, based on that. Because it was already so close between him and somebody else. 
Um, maybe it was like Aaron Nola and Charlie Morton. So, yeah, I mean, it, it could come into play there. Yeah, I, I think a general rule of thumb would be a, a pitcher pitching in the National League, all other things being equal, would probably have like maybe two-tenths of a run lower of an ERA than they than you would expect. In Yeah, that's that's about what I was thinking too, yeah. And, uh, and that's pretty much been the case over the last like five seasons or so. You've had some seasons where it was as much as a half a run. There was actually one season in the last five years where the AL had a lower ERA than the NL. Um, but generally speaking, you should. However, that effect is somewhat muted by the fact that National League teams were not designed and built to have a DH. And so generally speaking, the quality of production they'll get from the NL uh, DHs will be lower as a whole. This is something that we've actually seen uh, as a result of interleague play. The American League has generally been better in interleague play than the National League, and a, a part of that is because they plan for having that extra bat in their lineup, and so National American League offenses are deeper. And so I, I would expect for the National League pitchers, the effect would be more muted than if they moved to the American League. You know, maybe now you're looking at 0.15 run worse than you would expect, but you should, as a rule, uh, on a population level, lower your National League pitchers relative to your American League pitchers, I just don't think it should be uh, a huge difference. And I don't think you should try to say, well, Jacob deGrom won't be hurt, but, you know, Marcus Stroman will be. I think that's probably where you're going to get into um, – you're, you're going to be chasing impossible odds. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's – you should probably just do it as a population, not an individual. But. All right, Scott, let's – Tie a knot here on the strategy discussion. I know originally it was four of the top 37. We have lost some of those starting <laughs> pitchers along the way. Uh, they're still alive. They just have had yeah, some. It's uh, not like my top 37 or your top 37. So. Right. So um, what are you doing? What's what's the overall strategy now? And does it change in uh, head-to-head points versus Roto? I mean, I still, I still try to get four of the pitchers that I think can be genuinely high-end frontline types going six and seven innings consistently with more than a strikeout per. And um, I try to get at least four of them. I've come, I've been more often getting five lately, to be honest, uh, which is fine with me because the hitter pool is, is so deep. What is that group in your ranking, Scott? Is it, so is it's, it now 35? Is The it... last guy for me usually ends up being Lance Lynn, who I have 30th in my starting pitcher rankings. Other guys in that range include like James Paxton, Zach Gallen, uh, just after Lynn or Corey Kluber, Hyunjin Ryu. And then Madison Bumgarner. I start to, I start to hedge on really he's whether he's part of that group. Um, but you know, it, it gets, it gets fuzzy around there with guys like Madison Bumgarner, Max Freed, Matthew Boyd certainly has the strikeout potential of an ace. Uh, Kenta Maeda, I've started to kind of think of him along those same lines too. So it, it starts to get fuzzy there in the mid thirties, but that's, you know, that's usually where I'm personally grabbing like my fifth starting pitcher. Chris, where have you settled in with uh, strategy for the season? I feel like a month ago when we talked, we both kind of felt like, all right, this is the year to fade pitching. I mentioned I've been kind of flip-flopping. I think I'm going back towards drafting pitching early now. Where do you where do you settle in here? I think as a general rule, uh, you, should, you should have devalued pitchers relative to what your prior expectations were. However, in actually doing drafts lately, I've kind of found that I do wonder if people are going too far in doing that. I, I did a, a draft last week. It was a 12-team uh, roto with uh, some industry people. And Jack Flaherty went 26th. I got Lucas Giolito in the fourth round, Tyler Glasnow in the fifth round, and Aaron Nola in the sixth. I certainly did not go into that draft expecting to pick four straight starters from rounds three to round six. But you know, when Aaron Nola's there at, at pick 58, and in another slow draft I'm doing, I got him in the at the end of the fourth round of a 15-team league. So he was 58th in that one, 60, 67th in the other one. That That's one where it's just, if the value's there, yeah, I'm happy to take four of those top 20 pitchers. It's just, you know, it depends on what the draft looks like. 
Yeah, I think typically I won three of my top 20, or I should say our top 20, Scott, because I realized we actually have the same 20 pitchers inside of our top 20 rankings. We just have them ranked differently. So we have the same exact name. So I won three of those top 20 typically, and I have to, and I've said this before, I have to leave every single draft that I do with one of Zach Gallen, Max Fried, or Frankie Montas, because to me, those are my three favorite, favorite breakout pitchers this season. All right, so let's go into ADP review a little bit here. I'll try and get through the top 20 today. Uh, I am now using NFBC ADP for the month of July. There are 12 d- uh, drafts done over at the NFBC, so we do have 12. some. 12, wow. <laughs> 12 drafts, I know, so many, right? No, no Nothing could be skewed there. Uh, but I mean, we, I think it was seven the other day. <laughs> yeah, so some drafts are being done, but we have some data. I just think it's more updated than, you know, using Fantasy Pros, which, you know, yeah. it's going back to all the way, I don't know, January, February. The first round. You have two pitchers that consistently go in the first round. You all know their names. It's Garrett Cole. Actually, wearing the Garrett Cole shirt today. How about that? Uh, he's going off the board 6.6. First pitcher off the board. Jacob deGrom, 8.4 is the ADP. Scott, how many hitters have to go in the first round before you actually consider drafting one of Garrett Cole or Jacob deGrom? Huh. You know, it's funny. We did, a, we did an AL-only Roto mock draft last night. I had the first pick and I took Garrett Cole. So in an AL only Roto league, it might be zero. Wow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, which basically means four hit, like he's your number five player, right? At at worst in in Roto. Roto? I think, I think he's actually sixth because I have the, you have Travis. No, I, I, you know what? I think he's actually seventh because in Roto leagues, you have him seventh. Yep. There, there, there are the five, Big hitters, which I'm going to include Trout for now for the purposes of talking about this. The five big hitters we always talk about, four of them are in the NL. Then there's Trey Turner, the steel specialist, also in the NL. Um, you know, I, I in the write-up for that AL-only mock draft, I pointed out that, you know, high-end starting pitchers are so scarce in the AL player pool that in a mixed league, I still might have gone Trout over Cole. So, you know, but the point is seventh is where I have him in uh, – Seventh overall is where I have him in Roto, and I think I have him second overall, just behind Yelich now. I've actually dropped him behind Trout, Garrett Cole. Yeah, in a head-to-head points league. Uh, In a head-to-head points league. Um, Chris, who do you prefer between Garrett Cole and Jacob deGrom, and why? That's Cole, and it's it's mostly the strikeout upside. Uh, I would actually expect Jacob deGrom to have better ratios. I agree Uh, with that. But, you know... Jacob DeGrom, you know, Garrett, Jacob DeGrom did lead the National League in strikeouts last season, and I believe he was like 40 or 50 behind what Garrett Cole did. Garrett Cole did break the 300 strikeout uh, plane last season. He was one of two pitchers to do so. Um, and, you know, before the various injuries for Justin Verlander, I think DeGrom was closer to Verlander than he was to Cole. Yeah, last year, Garrett Cole had 326 strikeouts. Jacob DeGrom had 255. Yeah. So he was so 71 70. behind yeah, Garrett Cole. More. That's a lot. Yeah, last year, uh, DeGrom was SP3 in Roto. He was the SP6 in points. Uh, he was SP8 in fantasy points per game. That'll happen when you only get 11 wins. Is it possible to have negative wins in a, in a shortened season? I think that <sighs> might actually happen for Jacob DeGrom. Garrett Cole was the SP2 in both formats, both in Roto and in head-to-head points. Um, Scott, you agree, right? You're going to take Garrett Cole over DeGrom, both formats? Yes, yes. And I think, I, I don't know, did you just mention it, the fact that there's the DH and the NL? Like, I think the clearest advantage DeGrom has over Cole, especially with Cole going to that homer-friendly park and him being a flyball pitcher. Uh, you know, Cole clearly excels in ER, in strikeouts. And, you know, I think you have to give him the edge and win potential too. But That's fair. DeGrom would have the edge in ERA, that edge becomes lessened with the N- the DH and the NL. I will say DeGrom's safer, I think. Yeah. Um, in Roto, because... I have DeGrom ranked ahead of Cole, and it's because of the ratios, ERA and WHIP. I think yeah. I, even with the DH, I still think it'll be lower than Garrett Cole. He's not that changing be... parks or anything, and I think he's safer. And, like, I wouldn't be surprised, even if we had been dealing with a full season, you know, and he went 210 innings, I wouldn't be surprised if Garrett Cole ran a 3-6 ERA in his first year with the Yankees. Like, that, you know, he is a fly ball pitcher. It is, you know, a, a hitter's park, especially for home runs. 
you know, I do think there is some ERA downside there, whereas DeGrom, it's awfully hard to see DeGrom having an ERA worse than like 3-2 at this point. No, I, you know, Cole was pitching at more of a hitter's park the last two years and had a sub-3 ERA each time, 250 last year. Right, but it wasn't... Well, I do think it's in the realm of possibility he could be like 360. I'm, you know, I think low threes is is probably... um, accounting for the venue change enough and i mean does it creep into your mind the fact that everything the astros have done and been accused of the past couple of years like maybe cole I mean, did something while he was there i mean look trevor bauer used to call their pitchers out all the time for a substance <laughs> well this one specifically the cole bauer rivalry <laughs> that, goes back yeah, to that college goes. but that that i mean look <laughs> In normal circumstances, I would say that it, like I thought it was unfair for Trevor Bauer to do that without anything but circumstantial evidence. Given what we have learned over the last, uh, God, nine months at this point, because <laughs> somehow that's how long ago that was. Um, yeah, it's it certainly seems much more plausible. Uh, I would say, and, and the accusation for anyone who doesn't know was that the – Astros use the pitchers use foreign substances on their hand to increase their grip, uh, which has the effect of increasing spin rate on fastballs. Uh, Trevor Bauer tested this hypothesis out during a game when he pitched at Minute Maid Field. He went out for the first inning and his spin rate went up like 300 RPM, which is a significant jump for just the first inning. And then it went back to normal. Uh, spin rate is basically a high spin rate for your four seam fastball is a very good thing because it increases, it increases the perception of rise. Yeah. It looks like a rise. So there's the effects of gravity are lessened. It makes your, your pitch harder to hit that and velocity are the two key things that lead to uh, whiff rate with a fastball. And Garrett Cole had like a slider esque whiff rate with his fastball last year. All right, these two guys are taking Garrett Cole in both formats. I'm taking Cole in head-to-head points, and I'm taking DeGrom in Roto. Early second round, ADP. Walker Bueller, according to NFBC ADP, 12 drafts in the month of July, is a third starting pitcher off the board. 13.2 is his ADP. Max Scherzer, 16.1. Justin Verlander, 17.7 is the ADP. Scott, how worried are you about injury slash age risk with Guys like Scherzer and Verlander. Scherzer, of course, dealt with the back and the neck injuries last year. He missed a World Series start because he couldn't get out of bed, apparently. Uh, Justin Mm -hmm. Verlander had a latch strain back in spring training 1.0, and then he had groin surgery throughout the pandemic. So how concerned are you over these two guys? Not very. A little more about Verlander because he hasn't really had a chance to put it to the test yet since, since recovering from that surgery. But Scherzer, like Scherzer was somebody I was worried about durability and maybe age catching up to him. I, I just don't I just don't have those worries anymore in a 60 game season versus 162. Like he should he should be able to handle that as easily as anybody, as much of a workhorse as he's been throughout his career. Yeah, I will um I'll take Walker Bueller ahead of these guys in in Roto Leagues. Um I will take Verlander and Scherzer in points leagues just because they uh, do throw much more innings per start. They're both in the top six from last year. Uh, Walker Bueller is down at 23 in terms of uh, innings pitched per start, but um, Walker that Bueller... Was, I, I want to... He didn't throw many innings early on. That was kind of right. by design. Yeah, well, remember. last year he had the dead arm that he said he was going through and the year yeah, before he, they went to the World Series so he kind of had that hangover effect but as the season went along Walker Bueller, his final 19 starts he had a 2.88 ERA a 102 whip, 11.5 Ks per 9. I mean, that's basically on par with what you'd expect from these guys and he's younger and he doesn't have as much of an injury risk so yeah. I'll take him in Roto, I'll take the other guys in points just because I think those guys will will go deeper into into starts than than Walker Bueller. He did average Walker Bueller did average six point four innings per start uh, from May first on. If, if you're, you remember, he didn't really do a spring training last year, and so 
Uh, he didn't throw more than 100. He didn't reach 100 pitches until May 1st. He didn't throw more than 90 in his first three starts. So it is somewhat skewed. Uh, you know, he, he was pretty close to the the top group. Yeah. Once you account for once you take out April. And yeah, I mean, I guess the the I talked about how um, volume guys, volume guys, I moved down. I mean, I, I guess that's probably the biggest advantage Scherzer and Verlander had over Bueller is the kind of volume you would expect them to deliver over a full length season. I mean, they're at the very top of the list as far as that goes. And that, I guess that advantage is lessened. Um, yeah, I haven't been inclined to move Bueller ahead of those two, but I, I get the argument. So, Scott, rank those three in both formats Scherzer, Verlander, Bueller is how I rank them. But it's. It's close. They're, they should all be gone by the middle of round two. Chris, do you find yourself drafting from this group often? Because you are uh, missing out on Jose Ramirez, Nolan Arenado, if you wanted to double down on hitters. Um, those are the I'm names more, that, you have to, that you have to pass up to in order to draft these guys. I'm more likely to go hitter-hitter at this point and then start taking uh, my starting pitchers, but... You know, it, it depends where, like, if I pick six, then Garrett Cole's there. Love to take him. Love to have a starting pitcher there. If I'm picking, you know, 20th and Justin Verlander falls, that seems pretty good, too. And so uh, it's not a priority by any means, but, you know, I, I'm certainly happy to do it. The next group of ADP, the late second, early third round, Mike Clevenger is back to being SP6 off the board. His ADP is 20.3. Jack Flaherty, 21.8. Shane Bieber, 24.9. And then Steven Strasburg in the middle of the third round at 30.2. Scott Clevenger back to SP6 off the board. Despite pitching just 126 innings last season, he was the SP18 in Roto. He was SP3 in fantasy points per game. Are you all right with the ADP being back in the middle second round? For Mike Clevenger. Yeah, I, I prefer Flaherty and Bieber personally, but it's it's easy to like. I I think that I think those three in some order make sense as the next three off the board because after that I have Steven Strasburg, who you know obviously has a spotty history, and then after that Patrick Corbin, who I just don't think has quite the same upside. I prefer Bieber and Flaherty to Clevenger, but I think Clevenger has the most strikeout potential of the three. And uh, I could see taking him first if if you're not as concerned about durability in the shortened season. Scott, do you think that we don't ding Jack Flaherty enough for his first half? That was just not good. First 17 starts at 4.90 ERA, a one two nine whip. Case per nine were over 10, but the walks per nine were over three. Um, and then, of course, the final 16 starts in ERA below one with a 0. Yeah. 0.70 whip. I, I just feel like if that was reversed, Jack Flaherty would be a fourth, fifth round pick maybe? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that it's fair to, to play that. like Because we assume he got better in the second half, right? Um, and he may have. He's very young. He hadn't peaked yet. I, I think it's I think it's a reasonable reasonable assumption. The thing is, you take Jack Flaherty's full length season, his ratios are actually better than Walker Bueller. So to rank him several spots behind Bueller, I think the only reason you're doing that is because you're accounting for how uh, yeah how unreliable he was before the second half of last season. So I actually do think we're taking it into account. Chris Shane Bieber is kind of an accumulator. Does he? get hurt because of that in this shortened season where he can't really distance himself the further that the season goes along? Uh, I, I had questions about Shane Bieber long before this. Um, this hasn't really changed my view on him. The problem with Shane Bieber, like, he pitched really deep into games, and that was a, a big part of his success last season. But he was also just awesome. Like, if he had thrown 195 innings last season, he still would have been a really good fantasy pitcher. And so I'm less worried about that. Like, you're getting, uh, you know, elite whip, very good ERA, plenty of strikeouts from him. You know, that's what he did last season. My concern is he still gets hit really hard when he does get hit. And so he really needs to 
sustain the strikeout gains that he made last season and the swinging strike rate gains that he made last season. And he very well may, uh, but the 30% strikeout rate last season was, you know, an outlier by a pretty significant margin for his entire professional career. Um, I'm pretty much out on both of the Cleveland Indians pitchers in this range at their price. I'm, I, I'm out on them. Yeah. I, I haven't drafted them. So is, I, is Flaherty the one you're most likely to draft here, Chris? Yeah. I mean, I, like Mike Lemon ran an awesome 2019 season for 126 innings. Sonny Gray had his final 131 innings last season, you know, over basically the same number of starts. It was 131 and 22 starts for Gray, 126 and 21 for uh, Clevenger. Sonny Gray was better. Like he had a 240 ERA. He had a, a similar whip. He had 11 strikeouts per nine, which Clevenger was better, but that was a massive outlier for him as well. And so it just, it's the kind of thing where like, maybe that's just who Mike Clevenger is now. And maybe that's who he would have been the entire season if he hadn't dealt with that back injury last year. Uh, but between the small sample size, the outlier season, back injury last year, knee surgery this year, I just don't, I don't get how he's being drafted as the number six starting pitcher. Lots of smart people like him even more than that. Uh, I think Alex fast from pitcher list might have him like third or fourth. I it's not going to happen for me. There was a big jump in velocity last year for Clevenger. So it's, you're kind of assessing him as a different pitcher than he was prior to that. Uh, I do have to bring up this stat for Shane Bieber because it's one of my favorite stats. I love this stat. That's a good stat. Into games. Shane Bieber had 10 starts of more than seven innings last year. 10. Max Scherzer had five. Justin Verlander had four. Garrett Cole had three. Jacob deGrom had two. So, like, the the top four pitchers that we, we rise above a level. We put a level above everybody else. Shane Bieber had, of the highest of them, Max Scherzer, Shane Bieber had twice as many starts of seven innings, of more than seven innings. So he's the workhorse among workhorses. He's maybe the best control pitcher in baseball, and that's why I, uh, I, I am higher on him probably than the consensus, having him sixth at this position. Yeah, Scott, I mean, do you think we put too much into the into the hard contact rate? Look, it was very high last year. For It's been high the two seasons he's been here. 42.6% last season, 43.9%. But does it really matter when he's striking out almost 11 per nine and his walks per nine are below two? Like You can argue his strikeout to walk ratio is, I mean, it's in that group with the with the top tier. Yeah, it's it's the risk factor for Shane Bieber. I think you... Every pitcher six and beyond has at least one risk factor. So, uh, it it you know it could be why he underachieves this year. It could be, but it just he's he's maybe the best control pitcher. Like I said, he he added a great second breaking ball to an already great slider last year that made him better against opposite handed hitters. Um, and like you look at if if you believe in xFIP, the xFIP backs up what he did. XERA doesn't because it relies on that hard contact rate, but xFIP. And right. Sierra, they absolutely do. XFIP assumes a normal batted ball profile sure. or a bat quality of contact. And look, pitchers don't have that much control over their quality of contact. That's, you know, that mostly belongs to the hitter. Uh, but Bieber is on the extreme end. I think, Frank, you framed the question correctly. Is that really a concern if Shane Bieber is striking out 11 per nine? No, it is not. The problem is, is it a concern if he's striking out 10 per nine? it starts to be a concern. If it's nine per nine, if it's a 24% strikeout rate, like it was as a rookie, I mean, we saw what happened. He was, he underperformed his peripherals in a way that probably wasn't due to luck. He had to get better because uh, he is someone who I think you should probably expect to underperform his peripherals. Strasburg, the forgotten man, his ADP year by year. Quite the roller coaster because one year he gets hurt, one year he stays healthy. Last year he stayed healthy. The first time he threw over 200 innings since 2014, uh, and he was he was very good last year. 3.32 ERA with a 104 WHIP. The forgotten man. Do you guys draft Strasburg? I know, Chris, you're not going to draft Strasburg. No, no, I mostly skip the second tier of starting pitchers after uh, Verlander. This is mostly I try to avoid that, and that's. Historically, it hasn't been a particularly uh, 
profitable range of starting pitchers to select. Scott. And so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't trust Strasburg. Yeah. How, how are you? Where do you fall on Strasburg? Are you all right drafting him? Yeah, I'm good with Strasburg. I think, uh, he made some changes to his arsenal, reintroducing a curveball, which was a big pitch early in his career. It made him a better ground ball pitcher than ever. I, I feel like skills wise, there's actually fewer questions than ever for him. So it, it really just comes down to how durable you think he is. And last year was an exception in that regard. Of course, we're looking at only a 60 game season, which, uh, kind of normalizes durability. Um, I think he's really good. I, I don't think I have too many shares of him this year just because it hasn't, you know, I'm so high on Bieber and by the time it gets back to me, Strasburg's already gone. Uh, but I would have no hesitation taking Strasburg as, as my number one, if I went hitter hitter in the first two rounds. Quickly promote some things. I know some people have wondered, are we going to have listener leagues this year? Of course we are going to have listener leagues and the due date for these is Friday July 17th. So next Friday, we are going to have two leagues. The podcast league will be a 12-team head-to-head points league. We're drafting that one Monday, July 20th at 10 p.m. Eastern time. I realize it's a little late, but myself, Scott, Chris, and Adam will all be in that league, which means there are eight spots available for listeners. And then the For the People League will feature Heath Cummings. Yes, he will be part of this league. All of us will be in that league as well, plus Heath Cummings. So five in there. That's a 16-team head-to-head categories league. The draft for that will be Wednesday, July 22nd at 8 p.m. There are 11 spots available in there for listeners. So 19 spots available total. We will be, you know, using songs again as the submission. So if you made a song back in February or March, Resubmit that. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Send that song in that you made. If you don't have a song, if you don't have enough time or a way to make a song, then just email us. Let us know why you deserve to be in one of these leagues, the Podcast League and the For the People League. Again, the due date for those emails and those songs is next Friday, July 17th. And just a reminder that this Friday, we are doing a mailbag episode. So drop your questions with a five-star Apple Podcast review. Or email us, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. All right, when we come back, we'll get into the third, fourth, and fifth round in ADP here, Fantasy Baseball Today. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The third and fourth round in ADP for starting pitchers looks like this, according to the NFBC ADP in July. Clayton Kershaw, 37.7. Blake Snell, 40.6. Luis Castillo, 42.6. Patrick Corbin, 44.8. Lucas Giolito, 46.8. And Charlie Morton, 47.8. The NFBC ADP is Roto, 
But Scott, I find it interesting that Blake Snell is second in this group behind only Clayton Kershaw and ahead of everyone else. What do you think about that? I don't like it. I think uh, <laughs> nah, not so I, good. I think there's a big, you know, I talked about risk factors when we were talking about Bieber and how everybody from six and up in the starting pitcher rankers ha- rankings has at least one. Bieber has uh, Bieber. Snell has several. I think he has a whole pile of risk factors, and uh, I understand, you know, inning for inning. Uh, well, he wasn't really the best pitcher in baseball in 2018 because Degrom clearly was, but he was the second best. Sub. So, two ERA that's that's amazing particularly in this environment Snell might be the best pure bat misser among starting pitchers as well even in a bad year he had what would have been by far the best swinging strike rate if he qualified but um pitching deep into games has been a consistent pro even in a Cy Young winning season he didn't he didn't pitch deep into games consistently he has efficiency issues at times he's had elbow surgery at the end of last season. He had a cortisone shot in that same elbow this spring. Uh, and any missed time in a 60-game season is, of course, potentially disastrous for your fantasy team. So, yeah, I, I can. there would be several pitchers ahead of Snell for me. Scott, that was Blake Snell calling you to tell you how wrong you are about your analysis of him. <laughs> Chris, uh, if you're just talking upside versus downside, is the answer Blake Snell for both of those? the highest upside and the, and the most downside of this group? Uh, I think it's probably close with Lucas Giolito. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Lucas Giolito. Like, the downside for Blake Snell, for me, is just he's not healthy enough to be a good pitcher. Either that means that he's pitching at less than 100% or he's not pitching at all. I actually don't really have much concern about the performance. He was largely the same pitcher last season as he was the year before. Um and I think we just saw kind of both ranges of outcomes. Um, he, I don't know if he has more upside than anyone else in this group, though. Like, Charlie Morton has plenty of upside. Lucas Giulio yes. has plenty of upside. Tell um, us, Chris. And so, you know, it seems like every fantasy baseball analyst on Twitter is saying they're not going to draft Blake Snell, and yet he has remained. His ADP is basically unchanged from uh, the overall fantasy pros ADP to – the you know only 12 drafts uh granted but <laughs> someone's lying about not drafting <laughs> Blake Snell uh because that ADP does seem too high and I'm the I'm the guy who typically wants to target the injury risks but in his case the risk isn't really being priced in Scott you have this group ranked Patrick Corbin, Lucas Giolito, Luis Castillo, Clayton Kershaw, Charlie Morton and Blake Snell. I think it's a very tight-knit group. Why do you have Patrick Corbin at the forefront of this group? He's done it two years in a row. He's, other than Clayton Kershaw, who, um, you know, whose stuff is on the decline, he's he's working through it fairly well considering, but it's, it's obviously on the decline. But other than Clayton Kershaw, Corbin's the only one who's done it two years in a row, and, you know, that that counts for a lot at this position where there's so much volatility. Lucas Giolito was the SP-17 in points, the SP-13 in Roto last year, and just the year before, back in 2018, he had a 6.13 ERA. That was the highest among qualified starting pitchers. Last year, he finally became the pitcher we were all hoping that he could become a 3-4-1 ERA, 106 whip, over 11 Ks per nine, uh, 2.9 walks per nine, developed this changeup, changed his pitching mechanics, mechanics. One of the best changeups in baseball last year for Lucas Giolito. And what I'd like to see in the second half from Giolito was that in 12 starts, he went at least six innings pitched in 11 of those. So he started going deeper into games as well. I understand that there's like inherent downside with Giolito if he just isn't the pitcher that he was last year again. But I'm here for it. He's ranked inside my top 12. I'm drafting him. Yeah, that 613 ERA in 2018 tells the story of his turnaround uh, pretty well. Uh, another way that I would put it is last season, his 11.6 K per nine was the first time he'd been above uh, 10 since 2015 at any other, any level. And so, you know, when we said the guy we'd hoped he'd be, I mean, we're going back a long way on hoping because Giolito was the top prospect in baseball, you know, back in the the 2015, 2016 era. And 
you know, things started to go wrong for him even before he got to the majors. The stuff wasn't as good as it was early in his professional career. So this was, I mean, not just a long time coming. It was, you know, relatively out of nowhere. Uh, I think most people had rightly given up on Lucas Giolito. And, you know, this is the other side of the there's no such thing as a pitching prospect uh, saying is that sometimes guys really do turn it around out of nowhere. Um, and unfortunately, that also means that he may turn it back around this year. It's kind of unclear, but I, I am more than happy to take Lucas Giolito. I've taken him as my number one pitcher several mm-hmm. times. You know, if you get him as your third, you're oh going to have a pretty awesome pitching staff. I mean, you'd probably yeah. have to start SP, SP, SP to get him yeah, as, probably. as I, your third I, starting Lucas pitching. Lucas Giolito never gets past me in the third round, so yeah. I don't feel like. so. Yeah. Scott, are you comfortable like, with are you comfortable with him as your SP one? It's never the goal. Um, sometimes I take a picture in round two. Sometimes there's somebody better left in round three for me to take, and I don't have to resort to Giolito as my number one. But I, I do have several leagues where he is my number one just because that's the way the draft shook out. And uh, I like him. I, I have a lot of Lucas Giolito. I am here to profess my love for Charlie Morton. The guy was just so great last year. Uh, even better than you know what uh, the pitcher he was with the Astros, where at least I did. I had some skepticism last year. Was that going to carry over to the Tampa Bay Rays? Well, it, it did. 305 ERA, a 108 whip, a career high 11 Ks per nine, and a three-year best 2.6 walks per nine for Charlie Morton. Uh, Scott, why do you have him last of this group? Is it just the age, the fact that he hasn't been able to stay healthy really before last season? Unfair. <laughs> he, has had, he has had one injury over the last three seasons. He missed one month in the last three seasons due to an injury. And half of that time was spent on a minor league rehab assignment. Charlie Morton's injury risk, besides the fact that he's old, which means there's injury risk always, <laughs> Charlie Morton's injury risk is overstated. His, his injury risk is no higher than any other 47-year-old pitcher. Yeah, <laughs> I actually have him ranked first of this group. In Roto Leagues. Head-to-head, I, I ding him a little bit because he doesn't go as yeah. deep into games. I could be talked into moving him up to first. I, I don't feel great about Luis Castillo, 12th, but right behind Lucas Giolito. Um, I don't love taking Kershaw. So, like, part of it was... It was less about him uh, being injury-prone than just not being not being as tested as you think he is in terms of being a top of the rotation innings eater. Cause the Astros didn't treat him like that. The Astros, he was for the Astros. He was just an extra guy, you know, like they had so much depth everywhere and uh, he they became... kind of treated him like uh, kind of like you'd treat a fifth starter in terms of how much they used him. So, you know, could he maintain that again over a full length season? Well, now it's, it's a moot point cause it's not a full length season. So it's just, it's just a matter of looking at the skills and the ratios. And I think Morton, does come out ahead there. Yeah. You mentioned that AL only draft that we did last night. I took him at the turn. I had the t- I had the 10th pick. I took him with my second round pick right there. So uh, 11th overall and an AL only. I mean, you got to get your pitchers. Uh, the rest of our top 20 starting pitchers and where they are in ADP right now. You Darvish, 51.1. Chris Paddock, 54.2, both going in the fifth round. And then you have Tyler Glass now, 63.2. Zach Greinke, 64.8. Aaron Nola. 67.1. So Nola is actually going behind Jose Barrios okay. right now in this ADP. And there was a COVID scare. Scott, what's the latest when it comes to Aaron Nola? Oh, oh he's back. He he uh, was kept away from the team because of a contact tracing thing. Yeah. But he's back with the team. He was you know, working down in the outfield a couple days ago. I don't think his readiness is going to be impacted. I do wonder, since we're only talking 12 drafts here, how much that influences how he's where he's going here because he, he seems like he's fallen here and i think i don't, I don't like that that's did i yeah like did i miss something more serious than that no i think it's just that if you want to use the fantasy pros adp uh aaron nola is 46.2 he's the sp14 going uh just ahead of granky morton and giolito actually so so you're saying overall adp versus just in july yeah, yeah. so normally yeah. he's a fourth round pick in the nfbc drafts right now he's a sixth round pick and I think it was somewhat influenced by that but I mean there were reasons to be worried anyway right I mean he did not have a great season last year Scott 
So why, <laughs> what are you laughing about? <laughs> you said raisins. Did I say raisins? Yeah. I guess I, uh, I Adam is taking over my mind and now I'm talking about raisins. Uh, Adam uh, loves raisins. Raisins are gross, by the way. And I will <laughs> tell Adam that. They're, what is wrong with him? A horrible snack. Just not good. Uh, I don't think they're good to eat just straight up. I think probably as an ingredient, uh, this kind of burst of sweetness, they work. But, you know, you wouldn't need a spoonful of mayonnaise either. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Uh, I, don't, I don't like mayonnaise uh, either. I think people are being unfair to Aaron Nola. Tell if, us why. Uh, if they're downgrading him below, you know, outside the top 15, because, I mean, he had a two-year run there where he was clearly one of the best pitches in baseball. And if you throw out April of last year, he was thin too. I mean, a, a lot of high-end starting pitchers had trouble last April. I suspect it was because of the, the change of feel on the ball, the seams being lower, which of course also led to more home runs, but just the getting a feel for that ball, it took, you know, some pitchers openly talked about it. So I spec, suspect that may have been responsible in Nola's case too. He also complained about um, his pitching coach at the time, Chris Young, a more analytical approach that maybe isn't well-suited for Nola's particular skills, had him pitching up in the zone more, uh, and the home run rate, did go up the walk rate went up too, which was weird. Nolan never been a walk guy, so I think it was just a fluky season for Nolan. And he, like he's still ma- it's still managed to be pretty good. It was obviously a disappointing coming off the near Cy Young season of 2018, but it was still very strong season relative to starting pitchers as a whole. And I think there's a good chance he bounces back completely this year. The the, the question I have is how much of this is just like he was so disappointing in 2019 coming off that 2018 season that he's kind of being dinged extra for failing to live up to expectations. And like, he, you should never have expected him to repeat 2018. He was never going to be a, a mid two ZRA guy. He's not Jacob deGrom. He's not Garrett Cole. Uh, but, you know, like Scott said, from May 1st on last year, he was a three, five, four ERA pitcher with, you know, more than a strikeout per inning he's, He's good. I, I don't. I don't think his rankings reflect how good he actually is, and, and I wonder whether that's a part of it. Scott, who are you most likely to draft from this group? You, Darvish, Chris Paddock, Tyler Glass, now Zach Ranky, and Nola. If it's Nola, then give me the. It the, is Nola. Give me the pitcher you're second most likely to draft. Um, this is like this is kind of Scott's tier, isn't it? Yeah, that's why I'm 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 not sure that there's anybody more likely than anybody else. It's just kind of who happens to fall. I don't have a lot of shares in Chris Paddock. I I feel like my concerns for him are higher than is shared by the industry as a whole. Basically just a two pitch pitcher and got lucky with the home runs last year, I think. Apparently he has a wipeout curveball now, Scott. Can't yeah, sleep well, on that wipeout we'll curveball. We'll see. Like, I'm not afraid to take Chris Paddock, but, you know, I, I certainly prefer Nola. I prefer Glass now, especially given how, you know, we don't have to worry so much about Glass now holding up now that it's just a 60-game season. He was the best pitcher inning for inning last year. And um, he, added, he added two new pitches. Yeah. So. Yeah. What's the second pitch? And a changeup. Okay, yeah. I know he was working splitter's, on a splitter. Splitter's much more work in progress. Okay. Um, uh, but, yeah, Glassnow's numbers were just ridiculous it was over only over like 60 innings or something right yeah but. he had a 178 era 0.89 whip 50 percent ground ball rate uh limited hard contact 28.8 percent which last year everyone's hard contact was up and he was you know inducing that level of uh of soft contact tyler glass yeah, is interesting for he sure he basically had blake trinan's season last year like, he what do you mean elite, by that he you know only 60 innings but he was absolutely unhittable he was like an elite closer in terms of the sample size black so blake trinan's 2018 no no uh no oh sorry yeah uh liam Hendricks. liam Hendricks. okay yeah like it's this big turnaround for him you want to believe it the skills look great but it is a small sample size so there is some skepticism there yeah we were pretty excited about him heading into last season i mean he looked good down the stretch for the rays after coming over in that awful chris archer trade awful for the pirates I guess Morton's probably the guy I take most of this group after Nola. I, I take quite a bit Glass of you, Darvish. Now. Yeah, Tyler Glass now, sorry. I take quite a bit of you, Darvish, as well. 
Well, tell us about you, Darvish, Scott, because I'll reference this a lot, and I remember watching the start last year where he allowed like six or seven walks to the Miami Marlins of all teams. It was a start in Wrigley. It was a day start. I remember watching it. And it was basically after that start that he just completely turned it around, had the ridiculous strikeout-to-walk ratio uh, for the rest of the season. And I know you traded for him, so you buy all the adjustments he made. I, I know he, I think he uh, like changed his mechanics, and he started using this cutter about like 35% of the time, and it was an amazing pitch for him. But will those things yep. carry over this season is, uh, is the question that I have. Let me tell you, you Darvish... Last year, last year's you Darvish is one of my proudest moments, I think, ever as a fantasy analyst because I stood by him the whole time. Yep. I looked at what he was doing. I said, yeah, the walks are bad, but that's all that's bad. If he can get the control under control, he could be really good. And I almost I almost backed off that stance, that exact start you're talking <laughs> about when like the Twitterverse was... uh crying out in unison i mean he had 15 walks and 14 innings yeah lamenting lamenting before that lamenting the demise of you darvish um but i didn't i i held firm i even traded for him in tout wars all the good for all the good it did me and uh and yeah i i didn't expect him to walk just seven over his final 13 starts or whatever it was i didn't expect that extreme turner turnaround in control but otherwise it played out like i thought it would with him being just a bat missing extraordinaire and there was a chain there there were changes in pitch selection there i mean he has like 10 pitches and is working on another this <laughs> preseason so um you know i guess that that kind of uh adds some volatility just in terms of how long is it going to take him to find the right mix at a given time but, you know, maybe he learned something last year, more cutters and splitters, and uh, obviously the results were amazing down the stretch. Well, you've got 10 pitches. Why not make it 11, Scott? <laughs> I will just add, don't sleep on Zach Greinke. He's just another one. Not the same upside as a Charlie Morton, but I think he gets dinged because of his age. He's 36 years old. He was a top-five pitcher in both head-to-head points leagues and in Roto last year. Obviously still has the Houston Astros run support behind him, so don't sleep on Zach Greinke in this range. doesn't have the upside of some of these other guys, but I still think that he is a serviceable starting pitcher. All right, guys, we'll wrap it up there. The top 20 starting pitchers, a lot of strategy today. Tomorrow we'll get into a whole lot more pitchers here on our SP Preview 2.0 Part 2 for Scott. And Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.